Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 70 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Carrie Ray, along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guests are Carolyn Dutton and Robbie Bowden. We'll share our interview with them, and we'll listen to some of their music recorded live here in our studio. Jeff Tryon tells a timely story about his power bill. Hannah and John Boggs share their vision of the film they've made for this year's Wild and Scenic Film Festival, and we'll listen to a conversation about the Brown County Community Foundation with their two directors, Jim Branimer and Larry Pujol. Rick Fedig brings us his version of this old guitar, and Dave Seastrom shares his year-end reflections. In our first segment, we'll listen to our interview with Carolyn Dutton and Robbie Bowden. Jeff Tryon shares a timely story about his electric bill. And we'll hear Carolyn and Robbie perform the tune, 16 Tons. This evening, we have the pleasure of having Carolyn Dutton and Robbie Bowden with us. They've been a musical duo for some time now. Both of them are longtime Brown County musicians that almost every one of us have heard them play in one form or another in the various groups over the years. And thanks so much for coming in, guys. It's really cold out there. We appreciate it. Thanks. Our pleasure. So you were just talking about how your little band works. <laughs> could, could we continue that conversation? Yeah, well, I guess I could go ahead and say it. It's like Robbie and I have known each other for, well, I moved here. You, you're from here originally. Yeah. And yeah. I moved here about 15 years ago. And actually, we're kind of the remaining remnants of a group of Slats Clues band of musicians, you know, Slats who made all the Liars Bench albums and Christmas albums and so forth. And our and, theme song. Yeah, yeah. So we met during that, and then different bands spun off from all those because it was basically all the musicians in the Nashville area that Slats would use and pull in in different permutations. And so we had a country rock band for a while. Yeah, long shot. And <laughs> then something, I think we seen something called Remnants, which is kind of what we are. Well, we ended up being the puzzle pieces. The puzzle pieces. Because you never knew what how many puzzle pieces were going to be. And singers we would come and go. interchangeable members, yeah. Drummers would come and go. Yeah. Guitar lead, players lead, would come and yeah. go. And we would come and go, you know, because <laughs> we had other projects. And this past year, 
we're sort of the remaining remnants yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of the of remnant remnants. Remnant. We're a couple of puzzle pieces. <laughs> yeah, we're a couple of a couple of puzzle pieces. The corners, maybe corner sections yeah. or something. And so, uh, yeah, we've just been. He'll call me and say, "Hey, want to do this gig?" And I'll say, "Sure." Or I can't. I'm doing something else because I have a lot of other projects I'm involved in. It's fun because we get together, and I've known all his music. I played on his album. Yep. And. We have no intentions of making an album or becoming shooting stars in the music firmament, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we just like to play together and yeah. entertain people. Well, that sounds like the perfect combination. Yeah. So if, do you have any gigs coming up? Yeah. January 26th at Chesil Thomas, and then the 23rd of February, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then we have one in April. It's early April. And then we've got one in June as well, early June. I put out notices on Facebook. Yeah, she does. Okay. Whenever we play. Talk about some of your musical history. And, you know, Robbie, I know you go all the way back to the string being string band. And Carolyn, yeah. you've even toured with Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah. You have a lot of different experiences. Well, um, I was, um, I'm originally from Martinsville. And I learned to play the, started playing the violin at about age nine or so. Played all through high school and and was concert mistress of the Allstate Orchestra and all these wonderful accolades. And then I went to college in Ohio and I didn't want to major in music, but the music teacher got a hold of me and said, yes, you are. (laughs) And so I majored in music in in college. I I went to Western College for Women, which is uh, now part of Miami of Ohio. And while I was there, I played in the Dayton Philharmonic Orchestra. And then when I got out of school, I said, I don't want to be a musician. And so I ran away to New York uh, and got involved in publishing, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer and and magazines and stuff like that. And uh, something happened. I think after about five years, I was living there. And I'd always been a snob about music. I didn't want anything to do with bluegrass or old-time music. And, you know, here I grew up just outside of Bill Monroe's. (laughs) But I turned up my nose at that, ooh, those hillbillies and all that terrible music. After I'd been living in New York about five years, I went to this party down in the village. And there were all these guys hooping and hollering and playing fiddle tunes. And I said, oh, boy, what fun. I can do that. And somehow in that setting, I thought, okay, I'll be comfortable with that. So I got my fiddle and started learning fiddle tunes, hooked up with an old-time fiddle band called the Delaware Water Gap. They were from Brooklyn (laughs) and learned all the old-time fiddle music. And then all of a sudden, I got involved in a lot of theater projects. I did off and on Broadway. And so I wound up doing shows where I was kind of an onstage fiddler wandering around playing the fiddle on stage and so that kind of helped me get rid of all my acting aspirations and I could fiddle because I could fiddle much better than I could act you know so and then I switched to bluegrass and toured for many years with bluegrass band John Harold recorded and toured with him spent a lot of time up in Woodstock with all the musicians up there John Sebastian Paul Butterfield Happy Nardi Traum then as things shifted I wound up playing in a country rock band, and then a western swing band. And I just kept learning all these new styles, and every five or six years I'd switch and learn a different style. So I kind of play all the different styles, and now I get kind of bored if I'm stuck in one style. (laughs) And I like to switch around to something else. You just rinse the snobbiness right out of you. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, I love old-time music, and I love country music. Well, right now my love is uh, swing music and jazz, because in 2000, I came back to Indiana, and I got my master's degree in jazz studies at Indiana University. 
And so I've been playing jazz and swing, and I have a couple of Django Reinhardt gypsy jazz bands I play with. So I'm just, anyone calls me and said, can you do this? I say, yeah, I can. So Robbie and I, I don't know what we do. It's folk rock. Progressive jazz folk rock surf music. <laughs> right. As a, 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 a guy I worked with in Arizona we used to call. So I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, Robbie, what about a, a little bit of your story? My dad was musical. Uh, he never did anything professionally. He sang in a church choir, got together with his buddies. And he liked to sing barbershop harmonies. Uh, but there was music in our house from the time I can remember. And as far as singing goes, I think I got my taste for ensemble singing because of my dad's love of close harmonies. Uh, but I started playing clarinet when I was 11 in the sixth grade and played all through school all through my senior year, put that clarinet on the shelf and never played it again. <laughs> About six months later, I, I bought a guitar, took a couple of lessons. I had a five-lesson plan, and the guy wanted to teach me tablature, and I just, I just wanted to learn some chords. So I made four of those lessons out of the five, and I just decided to pay attention and, and learn on my own, which I did. And I started... Um, Dave Gore and I had a little vocal folk group just as I was getting out of high school with uh, three local ladies. And then, uh, you know, various rock and roll bands. We'd play high school dances and fraternity dances and whatnot. I auditioned for a band out of Nashville, Tennessee, a rock band, for the lead singer job and got that and went on the road. That was around 1968. Traveled with those guys. Came back here, continued to play around here. Went out west, the string bean thing happened in 72, and then we went out west later on. I ended up in Arizona for a while, Colorado. Worked with some great folks in Arizona, Bob Henke of Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show and uh, the Goose Creek Symphony guys, uh, Charlie Gerhardt and that bunch. Some other folks who were connected with Glenn Campbell for a while. And then I came back here, and the whole Liars Bench thing happened. And so I was involved in all of that for the 10 years that we did that and did seven albums all together with Dave and Bob Cheevers. We'd been singing together for 40 years plus, uh, Dave and Bob and I. And Dave and I go back to high school, singing together a cappella in high school. Somewhere along the line, I picked up bass, guitar, and harmonica. Now I'm just playing locally. I'm just taking it easy. Wow, between the two of you, we have a lot of diversity here. So <laughs> really looking forward to hearing your music. And again, thank you so much for coming out on such a cold night. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for asking us. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it My Brown County. Bills, 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 bills. Sometimes I think I will simply disappear, vanish, evaporate under the never-ending blizzard of bills, crushed 
under the sheer weight of piles and boxes full to overflowing with bills and invoices and statements and due receivables and demand notices and summaries of charges. It's enough to make a man go sideways, get a lot of whack with his natural humors, and can utterly wreck one's disposition, if one allows it to. Perhaps we should entertain a regular feature wherein we just tiptoe through a sample from my bill pile for our entertainment and edification. Here's one I laid aside to share with anybody in particular. It's from the electric company, the good old electric company. Now, I love electricity and all the things it does for us. I wouldn't want to seem ungrateful in the least for the services of this modern genie which provides so many wonderful amenities. It's a miracle, really but I do not enjoy receiving their monthly statement. Of course, we belong to a cooperative. We are members, stakeholders, and so that makes things ever so much more lovely for us, although I can't help notice that our rates are considerably higher than our nearby neighbors who are slaves to the big privately held utility companies. Now, this particular bill I saved from last year because it appears to me to be an absolute masterpiece of the billing arts. It happens to be a bill for a, a month when we weren't at our house. We had fled to town to escape the winter weather after it evolved that what we were paying for in electricity, we could rent a suite at one of the local hotels. So the electricity was off. Not shut off by the power company, but merely turned off at the breaker box at our home. But somehow we did manage to use eight kilowatt hours of electricity. Whereas this bill shows that during the previous year, our average kilowatt hour usage was 152 per day. During the month of March last year, we used eight kilowatt hours of electricity. So let's see now, that's eight kilowatt hours at 0 0.11071, roughly 11,000 100 thousandths of a dollar per kilowatt. That comes to, uh, well, let's see, the calculator says 88568, eight, but thank goodness the power company is just thoughtfully rounded that up to an even 89 cents. That's right, 89 cents. That's how much power we used out at the house last March, 89 cents worth. It says so right here on the bill, power you consumed, 89 cents. Of course, you have to add in the Hoosier energy adjustment, which amounts to 0 .00349, 349 100 thousandths of a dollar, times eight kilowatt hours, or about three cents, according to the bill. Okay, three pennies. What's a few cents more, right? Oh, and there's your basic service charge. This is the fee you pay just for the privilege of being hooked up to the electric grid, whether you chose to use any power or not. I probably could have avoided the basic service charge if I'd had the power turned off by the power company and then turned back on when we moved back out to the cabin. Of course, I wouldn't be too surprised if it somehow cost me even more to do it that way, the right way, but the truth is it was just one more detail I could not deal with in my headlong flight from the horrors of Indiana winter. So, $44. Yeah. And let's not forget our Indiana sales tax, 7%, which comes to, let's see, $3.14. Can't ignore the governor, as overly cheerful sales clerks are always reminding us. So, okay, we all pay our taxes one way or another, and we're told that like death, it is not to be missed, and so there's another $3.14. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the thing that really made me want to stand up and sing when this particular bill crossed my humble desk. Operation Roundup. That's right, 
Operation Roundup. Operation Roundup is a program whereby the final amount on your electric bill is rounded up to the next even number, and the difference is donated by the power company to some local deserving charity. And that seems good. That seems fine. I'm a charitable man. We are a charitable nation. However, in this particular case, I can't help notice the amount that my bill was rounded up by, 94 cents, was more than the cost of the actual power I had used, which as you will recall was 89 cents. This is how you end up paying $49 for 89 cents worth of electricity. I tell you, it's a masterpiece of modern billing. I didn't even bother to call the power company. There it all is in black and white. There's no arguing with it. $49 for 89 cents worth of electricity. All right. Tons or yeah, let's do okay, that. Right. You folks all know Tennessee Ernie Ford. I don't claim to sound anything like him, but I love this song. And I believe it was written by Merle Travis. It was a big hit for Tennessee Ernie. All righty. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood, skin and bone, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cook, I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine Picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine Loaded 16 tons, a number nine coal The show boss said, well, bless my soul You lose 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store Born one morning, it was drizzling rain Fighting and trouble are my middle name I was raising the cane back by an old mama line Ain't no high-toned woman make me walk the line You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store One fist of iron 
the other is steel. If the right one don't get you, the left one will. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. To the company store Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio. WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Segment two begins with Hannah and John Boggs sharing their vision of the film they've made about the local forest activism. Then we'll have a conversation with Larry Peugeot and Jim Brenimer as they discuss the history and mission of the Brown County Community Foundation. And we'll close this segment with Robbie Bowden tune, Road Blues. So it is my pleasure to introduce John and Hannah Boggs. They are, John is a uh, Brown County guy, Hannah's from Bloomington, they're uh, married, they're also filmmakers and videographers and musicians, and uh, recently we've kind of collaborated a little bit because of the forest movement and the film that they've been making about all of the activities surrounding the timber sale, the encampment, and all of the excitement of trying to save the 299 acres of the backcountry. The name of your company is... Collab. Yeah, collab. Short for collaborate. It's definitely an honor to get to work with you guys on this project. And, you know, ever since we've been at the encampment and a part of the events, you know, surrounding the Save Yellowwood movement, we've learned a lot. And, you know, just see this as a really great opportunity to let the truth speak for itself. One of the things that personally attracts me to this is that it's homegrown and it's our story. So many of the films that we've presented at the uh, Wild and Scenic Film Festival in the past are, are great films, but they're not about Indiana. They're not about the people who are involved directly with the forest movement, which is our audience. And that brings me to the point that uh, this 15-minute film that you're producing is going to be presented at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, which is at the Buzzkirk Chumley this January 14th. We've got a great musical lineup, and I think your film is going to be the capper to the whole event. No pressure. No yeah. pressure. Yeah. So you only have, what, uh, 5,000 hours to edit down to yeah, 15 minutes? Yeah, right. Time's ticking, tick-tock. Yeah. And, you know, our days are, are full of research and doing interviews with people. Or, you know, I grew up around here, so um, a lot of it's been reconnecting with people I used to know and talking to them about how they feel about the DNR, you know, treating the county like a tree farm private citizens that are paying their taxes and a part of the system they don't have any say over that at all apparently and so 
it's been nice to get to talk to people about that and see how they feel. And Well, and uh, especially nice to have a document that will stand for years to come where people can understand the origins of all of this. Right. And that's what we're diving into right now is, you know, with this film to not just be point counterpoint to what the propaganda the DNR has already put out there. We don't want to do that. We're creating something that has a real positive message that inspires advocacy and action, something that excites and reignites passion for the outdoors and gets people really moved to get up and actually do something. Uh, we we're using this 15 minutes as an opportunity to say some things about Brown County, how beautiful it is. Um, there's something about here that offers a lot of healing and respite for people that are stressed out and burdened living wherever else that they live and they flock here in droves, right? I mean, there's something unique about Brown County and those are the things that we want to highlight in this film is don't strip it of what makes it so grand. Exactly. Don't, don't undermine the majesty here. Um, why are you doing that? Stop, you know. We do want to explore the history of the logging in Brown County, get that story and those facts straight. I don't want to make a spectacle out of this exact wilderness area to make it seem like an isolated event because it's not. You know, there's a lot of timber that's leaving Brown County by the truckload. Yes. We're driving right down the street on their way out of town, never to return. We can shine a light on what's been going on in Yellowwood in the backcountry. Talk about what the protests look like for people that hadn't been there, or maybe people that don't know what it means to organize and to really be a part of a cause, right? Um, so share that footage with them and let people know this isn't an isolated event. This is happening in a lot of our backyards, and it's not isolated to this county even. Well, that's exactly right. correct. All 13 state uh, forests across Indiana are being subjected to the same management. I think in situations like this, for folks who are outside of the middle of it, especially when the propaganda is coming out from the DNR, it gets really easy for the protesters and the people who are trying to make a difference to become like this caricature. Yeah. Of, so this sure. idea of meeting these people and kind of being on the ground with them, I'm sure that's something in this yeah. film that will be helpful too, to just give real faces and real voices as opposed to just this this faction over here. Right. Well, and, and that's an excellent point, Carrie. Uh, the movement itself is comprised of so many different people, and they're from every walk of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, a generation from, from now, people will still have to be protecting these forests. If we are successful, it will only mean that every generation that follows us will have to follow suit. Mm -hmm. If one generation chooses to cut the forest, that's it. We're done. And so I, I really see that and, you know, forgive me for being so romantic about this, but it, it gives meaning to the loss of these 300 acres. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's not just some track of forest land that got chopped down and is forgotten. This will be remembered, and your film will help to do that. And uh, it really, the backcountry really is special. And I know you guys got a lot of footage of that area before it was cut. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is spectacular. So, right. Well, we've loved being a part of this, uh, for sure. One of the things that I've loved about it are all the different people that we've met. We've run into people that are not, are not from Indiana. They've traveled from different states yeah. to come and, and support this movement. Um, people that were standing in Brown County, people that have come from Monroe County and surrounding counties to come and support. Um, but it has been really cool um, to meet people from all over the country. And everybody approaches it from 
their own interests, right? People that love the trail and love the experience of backpacking in the wilderness area like that. People that are in the logging industry and live in the state that don't see the way that DNR is handling this as proper um, for a whole host of reasons. And we're sort of neutral a little bit. I just moved back to the area. And so it's been really neat to sort of be that neutral party that can... The observer. To observe what's going on. Yeah. And, and you know, and I'll say this as well. You know, I'm a kid that grew up around here and stomping around these woods. And I was, like, involved in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and all that. And I interfaced with the DNR quite a bit when I was young. Because there is that educational aspect of the DNR, some of this that I appreciated as a young well, boy growing up. That's the complicated but, thing about all of this. Is yeah. that you have the many different operations of the DNR that are outstanding and people are strongly in support of. It's simply the current management of the Department of Forestry that's bringing so I much couldn't agree more. Right. And I, I think the distinction really needs to be made um, where where it should. But um, but we want to create a film, a piece of art that anybody could appreciate, uh, no matter who's sitting in the audience, to tap well, into that universal passion, uh, why people become naturalists, the why we as private citizens feel the way we do about the, the woods. So John and Hannah, I know uh, that you guys are trying to raise some money for mm-hmm. this film. Um, do you have like a GoFundMe page or something? Uh, how, how can people, if they are interested, how could they get in contact with that? We do have a GoFundMe. That's GoFundMe.com <laughs> forward slash help save Yellowwood film. And uh, if we're friends on Facebook, you know, you could just uh, keep an eye on Facebook because we're posting those updates all the time on how things are going with the film, how fundraising is going, and, and anything else we'd like to share. So if we're not friends on Facebook yet, you could uh, maybe uh, request us. There you go. Do you have a website? Uh, Our company website is collabconsulting.org, and we're putting one up for the film as well, and so uh, we'll have to keep you posted about that. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information and coming in, and um, I believe we're all looking forward to seeing this at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival this January 14th at the Buzzcourt Trembling. We're really looking forward to presenting it, and just thank you for this opportunity. Marks, and this poem is called Kinship. Hiking around the lake in spring, listening to peepers in the marsh, stopping halfway up some wooden stairs, looking at orange lichens glowing underneath, puzzling the passersby by moving slowly, seeing inside things, sensing the attitudes of the dogwoods and maidenhair ferns, letting the forest superimpose its reality on me. Twisting down the hill, a muddy path winding through musclewood trees, blue beaches. Turning, I steady myself on one of these small trees, its trunk the size of someone's arm, muscled and strong. Here's the surprise. 
a smooth place in the bark, right there, where a hundred thousand other hands relied on this tree to get down the hill safe. Well, I'm just another human, the same as a hundred thousand others who also grabbed this tree in just this spot, like a hundred thousand more who will again. No matter our politics or religion or opinion on the poetic value of rap music, whether we think Johnny Cash was a prophet or that lime jello might be a green vegetable, we all grab that tree, appreciate it for being there, and move on. So it's my great pleasure to be here in the studio with two very beneficial members of our community, Jim Brenimer and Larry Pujot, who have been involved in the Community Foundation for years and years. Jim precedes Larry, and they're here to share some of the story of how this foundation got going and the kind of work that you all do, which we, as the Brown County Hour and WFHB in general, have been very generously helped by you all and uh, always duly noted anytime we talk about our history that we wouldn't exist without you. Um, if I haven't said it before, and I know I have, I'll say it again. Thank you guys. Well, Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, we're glad to be a part of the community here. So, Jim, I know you were in it before Larry, so you want to tell us uh, some origin stories? Yeah, I think it all starts, of course, with the concept that Eli Lilly, uh, the foundation, came up with. A foundation in all 92 counties in Indiana. And there's actually more than that. But where they came up with that, uh, and uh, the, of course, they had the money to support it. That's where it all starts. As far as Brown County is concerned, my thinking is that it truly is a Brown County Community Foundation. The number of people who have been involved in this uh, success story is, uh, you, you know, you couldn't rattle off all the names. I particularly credit Del Dukirk and the original founders of the Brown County Community Foundation. Del, I mean, this was his baby, and uh, he, he worked for years, and I don't know, Larry, he's probably still helping you out along the way. I hear from Del quite frequently. Yeah. <laughs> I also turn to the board members, the, the past and present board members of the foundation who have given of their time, effort, and their money to see that this foundation is truly beneficial to the, to the county. So that's uh, the folks that I, you know, the first thing I want to do is turn to others and say, hey, thank you. Well, when did the foundation get started? What, what's, tell us the origin story. Larry is better at that. I'm a, I'm a little distant from it now. Yeah. I'm not sure what year, Larry. Well, I think in like <laughs> 19, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a number of people that came together and they did a uh, the original visioning statement for, for Brown County. I think the first one was called um, Vision 2010 and then Vision 2020. But uh, the League of Women Voters were involved in that, and there were a number of people. And, and out of that study, uh, other communities in Indiana were forming community foundations. And they came up with the concept of, wouldn't it be great if we had a community foundation? And, of course, in Brown County, a number of people said, that, that will never happen. Right. That will never happen. Right. There's not enough money in Brown County to start a community foundation. But those original uh, community foundation pioneers kept plugging away and kept talking to people. Dell eventually got involved with their <clears throat> group. And they heard through the Heritage Fund over in Bartholomew County that Lilly was starting the original GIFT program. That GIFT program stands mm -hmm. for uh, Giving Indiana Funds for Tomorrow. Uh, it's still in existence today. And that would have been 1992, I believe, when they first came together. In 1993, they wrote their first um, bylaws and formed their first board. And Dell was the first CEO, um, worked for free for uh, four or five years, bless yeah. his heart. And uh, they approached Lilly and um, got involved with that original gift program. And I think the deal was uh, they could raise a million dollars, Lily would give them a half million, and they were successful in that. 
Which is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, you would never think Brown County is capable of scratching up a million bucks for anything, but obviously, if it's the right thing. Yes, exactly. And there's been six iterations of that. We just finished Gift Six uh, two years ago. Um, we received a half million dollar challenge grant from Lilly. Half of that money had to be used for community projects, and half of it had to go to uh, raise money for the unrestricted funds at the Community Foundation, which is the funds that uh, support community grants that have supported your radio station and many other things. That money supported the Helping Hands building, okay. uh, which was a collaborative project between Mother's Cupboard and Habitat for Humanity, a great collaborative project, and uh, helped support the addition of the art gallery. And then the other half of it, $250,000, went into the unrestricted fund at the Community Foundation to support community grants. Most of it from about 20 different individuals that opened named unrestricted accounts quarter million dollars for community grants and probably the nicest uh, food pantry in, in Indiana. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm going I'm to offer kudos to Larry, too. They found the right man when they got Larry in. He, yeah, he's done a, a lot of us think job. so. That's... And I just read where he's crossed the $10 million mark in grants, scholarships, financial aid for kids and adults going to school. And his leadership in that whole thing has been, has been uh, remarkable. So uh, for Larry, I... I congratulate him on that for sure. Well, I, I appreciate that. But as I've been saying for the last couple of years, anytime I talk to people, uh, I always say, listen, this is your community foundation. It's not my community foundation. It's not the board's community foundation. I won't be in the seat forever. The board members won't be in the seats forever, but the community foundation will be here. Uh, ten, over $10 million in assets, over $10 million coming back to, to the community through grants and scholarships. Just pretty remarkable story. Well, yeah, it's, it's amazing. If you think about all the stuff in this community, you know, the library, the Y. Yeah, I know. The library, we didn't even touch on the library. You guys just, you know, you look at the... Actually, we put together a little document for our uh, 25th. It's kind of fun. It's 25 grants you didn't know the Community Foundation gave. I mean, there's some things on there you think, we build a handicap ramp, a deer run? I didn't know about that. I mean, all, all these different yeah. things I've never even heard about. I mean, who knows how many grants are out there that yeah. have just come and gone over, over the years. <clears> $10 million. Great thing. Well, think of what Brown County would be without this. I mean, all of the things that are here because this happened, it's unimaginable at this point. Uh, you know, to me, it's like the essence of every good thing that's going on in our community. Well, you guys are coming up to your 25th anniversary next year. Uh, are there going to be celebrations, uh, activities for the community to participate? Or? Yes, we have uh, quite a, uh, an array of things going on. We're actually going to have a meeting on January 18th at the Community Foundation building, which is on Van Buren Street North. Uh, we have uh, the Howard Hughes Community Room in our lower level. Uh, the public's invited. We're going to have a little open house and kind of talk about the things that we're going to do. A lot of it will be social media based. There'll be little prizes for different things throughout the year. We will be uh, moving uh, a flock of 25 flamingos <laughs> around the county every single week. Um, these would be the uh, pink flamingos. These would that, be the, uh, the fabulous mm -hmm. flamingo flock mm -hmm. from the Community <laughs> Foundation that will be showing up at a location of a grantee every single week. So uh, 52 different locations will farm the flock and they will be representative of an organization in town that has, has received a grant and they will be in every township in the county. Take a selfie of yourself in front of the flamingos, send it to our Facebook page and win a prize. Excellent. Uh, how much is the gift you have to give not to have the flamingos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the large gifts. Yeah. That's one of the 10%. Yeah, yeah the uh, prevention fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned your Facebook page. Yeah. That would be Brown County Community Foundation. BrownCountyGives.org. BrownCountyGives.org. That's your website. Right. Our Facebook page is on there. 
Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. It's really a very remarkable thing that this foundation even exists and all of the good that it's done for our community. It, it can never be said enough, but thank you guys. You're welcome. It's our pleasure. Oh. Definitely. Uh, here's a tune I wrote around 1973, uh, driving to a rehearsal um, with the String Bean String Band guys. This is called Road Blues.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Our final segment begins with Rick Fedick's story about an old friend of his. Dave Seastrom shares his year-end reflections, and we'll close with Carolyn and Robbie performing Heaven is Where You Are. I'd like to tell you about a friend of mine, this old guitar. I bought that guitar new in 1972. It's a Gibson J50 Deluxe, a dreadnought is the style of the body. And I picked that off the wall at Pickett's Music Store in Columbus, Indiana on 25th Street. I kind of like the pick guard. It's got a little character to it, so I like that. And Pickett had a sale. If you brought in a guitar to trade in, they'd give you $100 for it. So I took in a toy guitar that barely had strings on it. I'm sure it didn't have all six. And traded it in, and he was good on his promise. And so I was able to buy that guitar for $225. At the time, I was living in Seymour, and a bunch of us were just running around together, and John Mellencamp was one of them. And we'd hang around and learn how to play guitar and play our three chords and pick up some songs and listen to them. And so one of the first songs I learned was Paradise, which is often called Muhlenberg County. It's a John Prine song, but I learned it off of a John Dender album, Poems, Prayers, and Promises. And I was living in Seymour, and we had the big hippie house, And I had lots of roommates in and out of there. But one of the roommates was Tim Holt Wilson. I hear he's doing pretty good in Nashville, Tennessee, as a songwriter and a keyboard player. And he was feeling extremely good one evening when he came in, if you know what I mean. And he tripped over the guitar, and he broke the head off of the guitar. And it was just hanging there by the strings. And I was devastated and heartbroken. I didn't really know what to do. So another name to bring in here is Larry Crane. You might remember him. He was very instrumental in the beginning of Mellencamp's professional career, and he did that marathon intro to I Need a Lover. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because his mom, Patty Crane, ran a music store. And I gave guitar lessons and taught young kids three or four chords and how to sing a song along with it. And Patty would always say, If I hear dead skunk in the middle of the road one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then she'd laugh. She was such a great lady. But she knew a violin maker, and he lived on the edge of Seymour. So the violin maker took that splintered head and neck and fitted them back together and glued them and put a couple pins. If you look real hard, you can see them underneath the finish. But I was extremely happy to get that done, and my guitar was back to normal. And so in my life, I traveled around a little bit and went to school, and I lived in Colorado for a few months and Kansas and Ohio and figured it was about time to head back home. And so my parents were out golfing with Mellencamp's parents, and John's dad said, well, we'll get him on with the construction crew. So I moved back to Indiana, and I helped build the studio, Belmont Mall. And through that course of events and all the friends and people that were in and out of there, I met Ron Volbrick. And Ron is a very fine luthier here in Nashville. 
And the action on my guitar was getting a little high. The strings were getting a little far off the neck. So Ron pulled the whole neck off of it and put it back on. And if you look real closely, you'll see a black line underneath the neck where it overlaps the body of the guitar. And that's a wedge that he lifted the tail end of that neck up so it would run parallel to the strings. I've been playing it like that ever since. This guitar and I have spent a lot of time together. We had some fun and a lot of friends. There's been a lot of parties and bonfires, some public performances, and in conjunction with WFHB, I opened up for Jim Hightower at the Buzzkirk Chumley a few years ago. I had a friend help me, a composer and a violinist, Lauren Bernofsky, and that was a very fun and exciting event to be a part of. And you know, I think a lot about that piece of wood. It resonates a song in my heart and life, it has endured the passing of time. It's had some bad breaks and repairs, and it gets an occasional polish and new strings, and I even put some bone string pegs on there. Only the best for my guitar. I'd call that a friendship, wouldn't you? At least it's a lot like friendships ought to be. For what it's worth, this is Rick Vettig. I love that guitar. The holidays are behind us and we're beginning the long, cold darkness of winter. But now we're on the upside, and the daylight increases a little bit every day, and before too long, it will be spring. Here at the Brown County Hour, we're recording episode 70. It's hard to believe we've been at this this long. But we're all having a good time producing the show, and with any luck, we'll be creating new episodes for years to come. It's also WFHB's 25th birthday, and we're kicking off a year-long celebration. Brown County has provided a wealth of material for our show. I'm not sure if it's the beauty of the place or some kind of cosmic attraction, but for whatever reason, there are a lot of talented people who have chosen to make their homes here. In my lifetime, I've watched the resurgence of the craft movement, and in recent years, we've seen a huge increase in the music scene. For over a hundred years, Brown County has attracted many talented artists, and it's good to see this tradition not only continue, but thrive. This month, we have a conversation with Larry Pujot and Jim Brunimer about the Community Foundation. Jim was one of the pivotal early directors, and Larry is the more than capable current administrator. Thanks to the many dedicated folks who made this foundation happen, Brown County is functioning way above our pay grade. For a county with our small population, we have a remarkable group of assets, all assisted or entirely funded by the foundation. The Community Resource Center continues to provide educational opportunities, and it's so successful that the citizens of Brown County voted to increase our own taxes to support it. We have a YMCA and an excellent public library that many counties much larger than ours only wish they had. Because we have a strong sense of community, we support those in need. Mother's Cupboard Community Kitchen is an excellent example of this. Their motto is, no one should ever be hungry. And thanks to them, many people have been given a chance to get back on their feet. We have a backpack program for school-age kids so they and their families don't go hungry over the weekend. These marvelous programs exist because people are willing to donate their time, money, and effort to make them happen. The members of the Brown County Hour team are privileged to interview many different people in the county, and I'm always impressed with the folks that we meet. This year, we've talked to a number of interesting people, and sadly, we also said goodbye to an old friend and contributor to the show, the poet Chris Curtin. 
We also noted the passage of an era by thanking Brown County's longtime veterinarian, Doc Brester, when he retired. Our goal is to be the voice of Brown County and share who we are with the rest of the world. The way we do that is by introducing some of the amazing characters who live here. We interviewed authors, Lou Stant and Bill Miller. We shared the award-winning poetry of Nancy Chin Long. We met Laura Edmonds from the Raptor Center. And just to stay informed about the local biology, last spring we learned about the mating habits of tree frogs with Jim Eagleman and Jeff Keller. Sarah Lytle came in and shared her story about being a recreational tree climber, and we had a great conversation with some young people about the Beta Teen Center and their efforts to fund a skate park for local teens. Every month, we feature local singers and songwriters, and last year, we listened to some great music. We began the year with Patrick Nylander and his native flute and didgeridoo music. Our old friends Hamilton Creek came in for the February show. Then Celtica helped us celebrate St. Patrick's Day in March. Roger Bannister and Amanda and Brian Webb, Jamie Hood and John Boyer from the Hammer and the Hatchet all shared their wonderful music during the year. Lou Stant shared some of his music, and we heard a few selections from the Fingerstyle Guitar Contest that was held last July at the Brown County Playhouse. We interviewed Steve Plessinger and Mike Stogsdill from the Warm Bloods. Bigfoot Yancey entertains the crew with her tremendous humor and wonderful music. And we close the year with Joe Bullinger from The Lean and the Plenty. We're looking forward to the new year and all that 2018 might bring. Thank you for listening to the show, and on behalf of all of us from the Brown County Hour, we wish you a happy new year. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. This song was written by my friend Tom McCormick. Uh, I worked with him in Arizona for several years. He lives out uh, in Apache Junction, out by the Superstition Mountain. I just love this song. It's called Heaven Is Anywhere You Are. I got nothing to show a life filled with love I got nothing to do but carry on I can finally see them old blue skies ahead just one more mountain I'll be gone sailing like I did some things that were better left undone But I guess it's alright Cause it sure enough feels good Gonna 
do it this one time just for fun and I'll be sailing like schooner on the sea through an ocean filled with stars soft and easy like a cowboy's evening dream heaven is anywhere you are heaven is anywhere you Thanks for tuning in to Episode 70 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.